I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Hello and welcome back to the podcast that is always up to speed with Formula One here on the Overtime Media Network. The Marks here, Mark Daly and Mark Hamilton coming to you again for the final race of the year. Mark, can you believe it? I, You know, th- this 2020 has just been just in general like a very bizarre, the weirdest and most disturbing year of all. But the fact that we are now here like literally just two weeks before Christmas, we're coming up to the last race of the year that's only a week or two behind schedule considering we started at the beginning of July is a bit of a, it's blowing my mind a little bit. And, you know, honestly, I'm not ready for the season to to, to end, despite the fact that the world championships have been decided weeks ago. I I, I don't want the season to to, to end. I've actually been enjoying it quite a bit. Yeah, this season has been, given what it could have been and given where we were back in March when we were at the Australian Grand Prix in Melbourne, like, and you and I've talked about this so much, what Liberty has managed to do in terms of constructing a schedule, basically out of thin air, incorporating venues and logistics and resources that we never in a million years would have imagined they'd have been able to parse into the season has been phenomenal. And you say as well that you're not ready for the season to end. Well, when you (laughs) consider that the season is ending so late and you consider that we're going to pack in a 23 race season next year, this off season is going to feel absurdly slow. When you factor in winter testing, when you factor in all the craziness that is the offseason and driver signings and changes and all those kind of pieces. This this offseason is going to fly by and we are going to be in Melbourne before you know it. Yeah, and you know the thing is too, I was thinking about it uh, this afternoon because there there was a story that came out that uh, they're, they're talking about having like the, the F1 COVID bubble still in place for the Australian Grand Prix in March. And I was thinking, you know, normally when you get to this point of the, se- the, the the point of the season, you wrap it up. When you get to Abu Dhabi, you know you've got this long off season ahead of you because typically we don't get to winter testing to about Valentine's Day, middle of February, right? And that 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 two month block seems like a ridiculously long and a like just an unreasonably long amount of time for any Formula One fan. But it goes really, really quickly. And and considering just, uh, I, I don't know about, like, I, I know, like I was just saying just now, that this has been the most trying and difficult of a year that uh, that has been experienced in a, in a long, long time. But it's it, it's it's been weird when you think about it. I mean, at times 2020 is dragged. Like a, a week in normal time seems to be a week. Like in dog years, you know, it seems to feel really, really long. But then, at the, just when you look at the bigger picture, it seems like this year has also gone on at a very, very rapid pace. So I was thinking that even though we're only, I, I mean, we think about it. I mean, we're in December now. We're four months away from the first Grand Prix again, and it will go really, really quickly. And uh, I can see that 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 makes a lot of sense that they're going to have that uh, COVID bubble in place because you know we're we're getting the good news now that vaccines are getting approved for emergency use in different countries around the world. Canada was one. I think they 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 had the discussions with the FDA down in the states today, and they recommended. So I mean, there is a 
glimmer of hope that uh, we might be taking the first tentative small steps towards, uh, you know, coming to the end of this whole COVID thing. But, you know, like you say, I mean, it is amazing to think that uh, that they were able to cobble together this schedule from nothing because when you think about it, that even though we had to set back the start of the season three or four months to get going, and we've had a lot of these double and triple header weekends, I don't really feel that 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 the season felt any shorter, despite the fact that we went. We were going to have what twenty two this year, right? We went, so we basically lost five races. But d- d- despite that, I still feel like it was a, a full full schedule. It's funny you say that because I, I I come to that same kind of thought quite often when like okay, you know what, the season's wrapping up in Abu Dhabi. You know, we had this conventional schedule, and then, then I have to think back like. Really, that's not what it was at all. The season really didn't kick off until the summer. And to your point, we had that three or four month gap after kind of that aborted start in Melbourne, where we were uncertain of what the calendar was going to look like. Were we going to have a calendar at all? Um, how modified was it going to be? How many races was, were we going to have? But it really does feel like we had a, an entire calendar's worth of action and drama and excitement. And I think the one thing that I keep going back to as well is that, like a, a, a lot of sports leagues, so we're in North. America. So we're exposed to the NFL and Major League Baseball and the NBA and things like that. There there was a a lot of concern. And and I think from a a media kind of analyst perspective, there was a lot of questions about whether these COVID seasons would have that asterisk next to them. Like, what was this a real season? Was it significantly compromised by infection, by by teams having to forfeit and skip and reschedule games and things like that? But I think, you know, we've had a couple of hiccups. You know, we know Lance missed a race and, and Sergio missed a couple of races. And now Lewis has missed race, but I really don't think that that was consequential in terms of determining what the outcome of the championship was going to be. And, and I think, you know, it was a shorter schedule, but it was compact. It, there was a lot of double headers. There was a lot of triple headers. I think there was some incredible racing despite everything. And I, I think some of the tracks as well lost a little bit of their atmosphere, even when we're sitting at home. It, it's tough to watch a race when you have hundreds of thousands of seats in the grandstands that are empty. But that said, I still think that the action and the spectacle on the track really made up for a lot of that. And, and I really credit Liberty and their partners at Sky Sports for really creating a compelling product despite all of those kind of existential challenges that they encountered this season. And for me, and I keep going to this, like I don't think for a second that there's an asterisk next to this calendar. In fact, I give Lewis extra credit for winning this championship. You know, this is a season where the drivers and the teams had to kind of fight off all the challenges of a conventional season, which is travel and being away from family um, and all the grinds of being on the road for extended periods of time. And then you compress that into the fact that there was double headers and triple headers, which is incredibly difficult on the teams and something that I think the teams fought really hard to try to eliminate through the Concord Agreement, although maybe next year's calendar proves that they weren't quite so successful. (laughs) But I, I would really credit the teams and the drivers for being able to compete this season and doing so despite everything that was going on outside. And the fact that they were able to have a championship that was really free of those question marks that maybe some of the other sports were impacted by. And I credit Liberty and I credit the drivers and the teams and the constructors because I think they really did put together a compelling product. And at the end of the day, for me, not only is there not an asterisk next to this championship, I give Lewis extra credit for winning in spite of everything that was going on, especially a driver of his age, like competing at a triple header. It's a grind for me to get up to watch a race three weekends in a row, to travel 
and be in those locations and be isolated from your friends and your family and not be able to get away. Like, I think we forget sometimes as well that for these drivers, you know, they might be competing in a double or triple header, but between Reese weekends, they're able to get in that private jet. They're able to get in that first class seat, fly away to some tropical destination, spend a couple of days with their friends, reset, come back for the next race weekend. That wasn't the case. These drivers were living elbow to elbow with the mechanics and the engineers and the teams bunkered down in these bubbles to make sure that they could protect themselves and be able to compete weekend to weekend. But I I think all things considered, this was a phenomenal calendar. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I, I, the the one image that popped into my mind when you said that, uh, despite the fact that we had these races, at, that there were some things missing, like the atmosphere, immediately what, what pops to mind is we had three races in Italy this year, Monza, Mugello, and an Imola. Yeah. And there was not a single Tifosi. I mean, there some of them, there were like a handful of uh, fans at uh, some of these races. But I mean, especially at Monza, you expect the stands to be packed with uh, people well i mean this is not a ferrari uh, a sweater but uh, you expect to you know to, to see the scarlet clad tofosi there you expect to see them with the ferrari flags and things like that same thing at silverstone we had a double header at silverstone i mean that is like lewis mania central and then the same thing at tracks like spa and red bull ring i mean easy driving distance uh, relatively for all the dutch fans i mean when i lived in holland we used to go to austria and and, and france and countries like that to go skiing so i mean it is easy to jump in the car to go to Germany, go to Austria, go to Belgium. You know, if you're a fan of uh, Max Verstappen, you're in the Netherlands, you're you're there in a couple of hours. And it really, d- despite we've had races at all these wonderful tracks, it has been strange to see, uh, you know, the, the lack of fans there. I know we, we've had fans in attendance uh, at, at some of them, but uh, certainly it, it doesn't take away from watching at home, but it does look strange when you're sitting at home watching just to see them do lap after lap, especially in those early season races and some of the ones we've had recently where the, the, the facilities have been closed off and you just see some of these big banners that they have up in the grandstands. But, you know, that, that not, you know, that notwithstanding, I still think that the fact that they were able to come up with the system and, you know, like you say, apart from a few small hiccups, it has worked really well. And, you know, I'm glad to hear that Lewis has tested, po- or sorry, tested negative. Pardon me. I don't <laughs> say the wrong thing here they has tested negative uh, for for covid he will be back at yas marina for the season finale this weekend and um, you know i mean that was a every time some there there has been positive tests uh, come back you know for like you said for lance for uh, sergio and then for 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 lewis i mean we all knew that these things were, were going to happen it was just expected that there somebody would test positive along the way but thank goodness it did not happen say 3 months ago or something like that and say lewis missed an extended period of time because we would be sitting here right now saying you know that having a completely different uh, conversation i mean in the, in that case well yeah i mean say Max or Valtteri or somebody else wins the championship sure they were there they won all the races they got all the points they needed to to win the championship but then you think well I mean Lewis never missed a race in his career before last weekend and you just have to think yeah if Lewis had been in the car it would have been a completely different situation so I mean from from that point of view yes it, it was obviously uh, you know uh, unfortunate that, that that he tested positive fortunately he didn't get very sick fortunately he's back this weekend but also fortunately it, it didn't uh, detract from or impact the, the 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 championship in a negative way because like you said there could be a big old asterisk beside 2020 uh like we've seen in other areas but <clears throat> 
We're going to wrap it up this weekend, but before we do that, there is a ton of news to go over this uh, the, the, this week. And, well, we're coming up in a break in about five or six minutes, and I'm sure we're going to talk uh, about this a little bit more. And we, we have to talk about it. We can't avoid it. It is the elephant in the room. And this is this whole situation with Nikita Mazepin, the, the newly confirmed Haas driver coming in for 2021. That announcement only dropped a week ago. It is Thursday night, uh, December 10th, 2020, here on the west coast of North America. So we we sat down here a week ago to do the weekly show, the regular weekly show, and we, we talked about how they'd confirmed Mazepin and, uh, and, and, and Mick Schumacher for 2021 as their drivers. Less than a week later, less than a week later, you have Mazepin put this... Uh, video up on his uh, on his Instagram and then it's uh, rapidly de- deleted but the internet de- does what the internet always does and it was quickly downloaded and saved and shared and uh, you know I- I'm honestly quite uh, number one I'm I-, I can't say I'm I'm surprised sadly um, you know just based on his track record I, I think we have a- an idea of what he's like uh, so far Nikita Mazepa and that's it's I don't want to say it's expected, but it's extremely disappointing that it happened at all and it happened uh, so quickly. And I mean, I I think we have a good idea what his character is like now. And uh, unfortunately, I think when it comes to him, at the very best case scenario, he's got some serious growing up to do. And a worst case scenario is obviously a lot worse than uh, maturity issues. I mean, we, we don't need to really get into the, uh, you know, the, the really descriptive part of the, the, the video. If you want to go search it up, you can go find out a, you know, a, a blurred out version on uh, Reddit and places like that. But basically what, what it comes to is he's in a car with one of his dude bro friends and there's a, a girl in the back of the car. There's some inappropriate things going on. He shares it to his, uh, you know, his Instagram story. And of course, you know, it, it's going to get shared. And I mean, it is just, uh, I mean, that is obviously terrible, terrible uh, behavior. But uh, but what's even more frustrating and disappointing is just the the, the subsequent uh, reaction from from Haas, the FAA, and Formula One. It's just basically a bunch of um, you know negative statements that well, we do not condone this action. It's abhorrent behavior, which of course it is. But you know, in in the new We Races One era in Formula One, it sets such a bad example. We, we saw earlier this year, a Formula E driver get fired for cheating in a, in a sim racing environment. Uh, you know, really? So, I mean, you, you can get fired for getting your buddy to come in and, and, and race in place of you in, a, in, in like a sim race, like, a, you know, for esports, but you can go and, you know, sexually assault somebody in, as a Formula One driver, and the, the worst that happens is just like a, a bunch of, uh, you know, PR releases and things like that. And, you know, the, the, the fact that Gunther Steiner, team principal at Haas, was today was uh, addressing the media again, saying that we're dealing with internally and we're not going to make, uh, you know, address it any more publicly, you know, just to, to me is just the, the, the worst possible uh, reaction that we can have. So, so to me, the, the, the whole we race is one thing seems to be, well, you know, if you're a driver of questionable ability and questionable morals, you seem to be included under the We Races One banner when, you know, obviously that stands or should stand for something completely different. I, you know what, I, I think I might go on a little bit long. And, and you know what, you made a great point before we even start this podcast, which is how much airtime do we want to devote to this, to yeah. this kid? Um, I just think we do a disservice to the community and to the sport if we don't challenge F1 on some of their decisions, right? Because one of the concerns that I've always had about Formula One is 
I feel like the traveling media, the traveling press, the, the traditional media that travels with the sport and they go to every race, my sense is that they've been very much ingrained within the sport. They're very insular. And I think sometimes for fear of losing access, they're not as critical of the teams and the drivers and the decisions of the FIA and Formula One as they should be because Ultimately, they're afraid of losing access. And mm-hmm. access is their gravy train. It's what gets them a paycheck. Having that interview with a Daniel Ricardo or Lewis Hamilton is important to them. And if they're too, 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 I would say frisky, or they create too much friction in their reporting, they'll lose that access. And I was really curious to see how the F1 media stable was ultimately going to respond to this incident. And you know what? You and I were talking a couple nights ago because I actually encountered um, this situation on Reddit. So before it had appeared in any tabloid or in the F1 media, I saw it on Reddit. But you know what? I I know we need to cut to a break. Maybe we cut to a, a break real quick and then we can pick this up. Sure, let's do that. Uh, Let's uh, break ahead of schedule here on the Overtime Media Network. Don't go away. We'll be back in uh, just a moment. Passion, drive, and patience. The formula for winning championships is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. Superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to make your car the MVP and bring home huge wins. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right. Well, welcome back to the show. Uh, The the podcast is always up to speed on Formula One. And uh, of course, we're not just on podcasts. Podcasts, not your thing. Go and uh, search us up on YouTube. If uh, YouTube isn't your thing, come back. We're on Apple. We're on Spotify. We're everywhere you can get your podcasts. But uh, Mark, we were just uh, talking about the the whole Nikita Mazepin situation uh, before the break. And just to uh, follow up on your point, uh, I I don't think that uh, that Sometimes maybe the uh, and I don't, I don't want to be too overly critical of the media. I I I understand that, but it's not a phenomena to really go out on a limb uh, in situations like this, or or to be overly critical, or really be. I'm not even sure what the correct word is. I've seen that before, like in the soccer media as well, and I've seen people sure. have you know incidents with um, you know governing bodies, different clubs for for saying the wrong thing uh, on a podcast, on TV, on social media, or writing or printing something that landed them in a, in a little bit of hot water. So, you know, there there is that very fine line to tread as, as a journalist where you want to go out there, you know, you it, because I mean, your your duty is to 
cover the stories, the the, the good, the bad, and, and the ugly, right? But, you know, it's just like, and that's the problem that some of these people have is, especially now, and well, I don't think it's any different now than it was uh, at any point in the past. But, you know, if you do the, the wrong thing or say the wrong thing, I mean, you could quickly find yourself, uh, you know, with, with, with your credentials revoked and all of a sudden you're on the outside uh, looking in. I mean, absolutely. For, for us, it's different. We're not doing this for our, our nine to five. This is not our bread and butter. We're not making a living off of this. But I can understand that. Uh, it doesn't matter. I mean, you know, which sport it is. I mean, you know, it's it's a very, very uh, real, uh, you know, dilemma, you know, uh, ethical di- dilemma. It's just like, you know, wh- when you have a situation like this, you know, what, what do I say? What do I write? What do I do? And where do I draw that line? You know, I, I think one of the things that we're really fortunate of, and I think the, the F1 media is fortunate about, is the fact that the grid, for the most part, for the better part of the last decade, has been populated by some really great people. Like you you look at the racers, these are great people, they're charismatic, they're personable, they're approachable, they're media savvy. And you and I have talked so much the last couple of weeks about this, the current influx of this younger generation is social media savvy and they're charismatic and they're outgoing and they're accessible. Like they're all the things that you would want a young driver to be. And I I think the F1 media as, as a result has kind of been blessed because they've inherited this pool of drivers that are everything you would want them to be from a media perspective. And I think their behavior on, for the most part and off the track has been such that we really haven't had to have any really deep dive critical investigations and analysis of the behavior of the drivers because again they're good guys you know what daniel ricardo in the off season he goes home to uh, western australia and he goes dirt biking and he goes swimming and you know what lewis is working on his music and his fashion label like these are great wholesome drivers who have some really really pure interests and i, I think that's where this is so troublesome because it was a week ago where you and i were talking about the exciting driver lineup component at Hawk which is Mick Schumacher driving the team. And we were also very critical of the decision to bring in Nikita Mazepin. And we listed a, a long list of some of his transgressions. And and it's funny because after that podcast, I was like, you know what? I'm thinking he's a young kid. He's made some bad decisions. A lot of this was in the past. Mm-hmm. You know what? Maybe he's grown up. And I'm, I was certain that when they were sitting in negotiations to bring him onto Haas and represent Haas and to represent Ferrari and represent Formula One, that they would have really laid down the law and said, look, you know what? Contractually, here's the things you can do. Here's the things you can't do. We're going to take away your phone. We're going to disable your Instagram account, or we're going to get you a publicist and you run everything through your publicist. But not even a week later, ultimately, possibly his his worst social media transgression ever. And this is a guy who's defended racist, has made a homophobic comment towards um, George Russell. Like, an, like it's, it's, it's mind boggling that this was able to happen. And, and the fact that it happened as well in, in a, a strict conservative Islamic country, um, in, in a, in a luxury car. And like, again, at the end of the day, as far as I'm concerned, it was sexual assault is what it was. Mm-hmm. There's, there's no two ways around it. And I think as a father now, and you've been a father for a number of years, and, and I've been a father for a couple of years, I interpret these things a little bit differently because I want I want to nurture my son and I want him to grow up being a Formula One fan, but I don't know how I can motivate him to be a, a fan of the sport when 5% of the drivers or one of the 20 drivers on the grid is this type of personality. Like, why would I want to continue investing my hard-earned money in the F1 TV Pro app and to buy tickets to go to races when really I'm just condoning this type of behavior? Mm-hmm. And maybe one of the reasons it's so galling is just because so many of the drivers on the grid are just such great guys. And 
And it, it is funny too, one of the things that I saw, the tide that kind of shifted on social media and Reddit this week is a lot of fans have been critical of Lance and they've been critical of Latifi. And that's because... Not because they're not great people, because they're great Canadian kids and, and they're polite and they're friendly um, and they're genuine and they're authentic. But people have been critical of them because, you know what, they're they're that quote unquote labeled as a pay driver, that they bring yeah. money to the team with them. And that's OK. But in 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 Mazapan's case, he's absolutely bringing money. But the fear is and I think the backlash from the fans is. You know what? The treatment of Mazapan is different than maybe another driver because his family is bringing tens of millions of dollars to a team that might otherwise not be on the grid. So, you know what? You and I talked a lot about this the night kind of the story broke on social media. We waited eagerly to see how it was going to kind of be dealt with the next day. And the tabloids obviously were all over it because it was a scandal. Um, And some of this more traditional uh, F1 media picked it up. Haas was quick to release a statement, and I think you and I were both very disappointed. I don't want to speak for you, but the the language was very much, hey, this was an abhorrent behavior, but we're going to deal with it internally. So then it's like, well, if they're going to deal with it internally, that means we're probably never going to hear what actually happened. They're not going to financially penalize him. They're not going to take away his race seat. It's really up to the Formula One and the FIA to come out now and take a strong stance on this, maybe suspend his, his super license for a year or something like that. But Formula One and the FIA ultimately came out and a joint announcement and basically said, hey, we support Haas. We support that they want to deal with this internally and that we're not going to hear anything more about it publicly. So as far as I'm concerned, the, the issue as far as Haas is concerned is is put to bed and he's going to be at winter testing and he's going to be on the grid come, come Melbourne, which is a, a little bit disappointing. Well, a lot disappointing yeah. to me. Yeah, it is. It- it's just, uh, I kept, a, an, another thing that uh, popped up in my mind was a, a situation that happened a number of years ago. And, uh, and some of you might know, I've mentioned it before, that one of the things I've done is I've covered the, the Vancouver Whitecaps uh, football club and Major League Soccer for a number of years. And there was a situation, um, oh, this is going back uh, probably 2010, 2011, their first year in uh, Major League Soccer. Okay, MLS is not Formula One. It's not the Premier League in terms of stature and coverage and things like that. But, you know, it is a pro uh, sports league. It gets a lot of coverage uh, in, in the respective cities and things like that. And, of course, the Whitecaps are not Manchester United or Real Madrid or Barcelona or any one of those clubs. But still, these are all professional athletes. They all have a job to do. And there was an incident, uh, you know, about nine, ten years ago, whatever it was, when they first came into MLS, that one of their players got onto social media, uh, tweeted out uh, a homophobic slur about an opponent. And and the Whitecaps, you know, they've had their issues over the years. And, and a lot of them have been uh, have not gone over very well with the, with the fan base. But this was one... Uh, incident that they were absolutely spot on they severed ties with that player and cut him from the the the, the roster right away because you know this you know person you know tweeted out like an extremely offensive term about uh, somebody and uh, that that was the co- uh, correct way to do it so to see something on the scale of like formula 1 to see that with the driver that uh, you know and, and to see re- the, the the reaction is you know underwhelming and disappointing and maddening at uh, at the very very best i mean what i can hope for is that you know they've sat down with him and his agents and and everyone and said okay this is the only time that it's going to happen and then like you say like hopefully they have like a publicist and everything like that they take the phone away from him yeah. so you know he can't uh, press the trigger on this stuff like that i mean uh, that's not to say that you know the egregious and bad behavior is still happening uh, you know somewhere behind closed doors but 
you know, what, wh- what do you do? It's just, it's, it's unfortunate. And, you know, it just casts such a, a bad light on other things. And that, that's the one thing that I found too, like uh, in all the years I've covered soccer, it's like 99% of the people that, uh, that, that you interact with, with the players, coaches, staff, you know, front office personnel, you know, TV personnel, like every, everyone behind the scenes, uh, you know, they're all great people. They're all there for the, for, for the right reasons. But every once in a while, you know, there, there's one player in the dressing room that just is just a bad apple and you know you hear the stories and you you know something that said that that and it just it just it leaves such a bad bad taste in your mouth and it just uh it, it really makes you kind of like rethink things it's like you know why is this person even here it does, it, does it really just come down to the fact that this person has talent and th- they just help you win soccer games or formula one races and things like that and you know it is just um it, it's something that just it never sits right and unfortunately you know these things pop up from time to time and uh you know, I, I just uh, hope that uh, this is the only time that it happens, and uh, and and hopefully, should it happen again, that uh, it's not dealt with in such uh, you know, because the perception is in the public that it's been brushed off and kind of swept over to to to, to one Absolutely. side. Absolutely, and, and I think that is the worst possible thing. I mean, of course, they're going to kind of circle the wagons, Formula One and the FIA, if they you know Haas has uh, dealt with it. Who knows what's happened behind doors, but. From a public perception point of view, it's it's just not uh, it's just not a good look. I'm afraid. I completely agree yeah. with uh, everything that you said. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, like we said uh, before the break, uh, we we didn't want to give uh, too much uh, coverage to it. I think we we we've said all we really need to to, to say on it. So uh, why don't we uh, go ahead now and, and take a look at some of the news that's uh, been going around? And uh, you know, there's been quite a bit of uh, Ferrari news in the uh, over the past uh, couple of days, and one of them that was actually very very su- surprising is that their CEO Lewis Camilleri has actually announced his retirement from Ferrari effective immediately. And uh, this is a bit of a you know a, a bit of a shock because he's been in uh, the the top spot there since uh, 2018. Ever since uh, Sergio Marchionne fell uh, fell ill and uh, sadly passed away, uh, he's helped uh, them uh, you know uh, solidify and grow their uh, their their road card uh, business uh, despite all the the, the problems. That uh, you know, economically, that have been had uh, recently because of a uh, coronavirus, and I'm I'm sure that uh, you know they're you know everybody's kind of watching their you know their 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 spending habits, even if it's uh, for luxury cars. But more than that, I mean, he's been a, a a big supporter of the Formula One program of the Formula One team. He's regularly in contact with team principal Mattia Bonato. He shows up uh, you know uh, quite often uh, to, uh, to the races. He's in the pits in the garage there. So this is kind of a a bit of a shock and a, you know, it is what it is. I mean, he's obviously not there driving the car or, you know, making the design decisions or, you know, making the decisions on the pit wall. But still, you can't help but think that when when you have somebody that's that high up in the organization that has, you know, that, uh, you know, especially a big backer of the Formula One team like that, uh, that, that it can't impact them in some way. Yeah, I think the I think the thing that caught me most off guard about this was less necessarily that it happened, but more the timing. Like my, yeah. my sense is that this wasn't necessarily his timetable. And I, I don't want to speculate too much, but I, I have some deeply seated suspicion that organizationally and structurally we'll probably see some changes at Ferrari in the offseason. I, I think ultimately to disrupt 
the, the team with significant personnel and executive changes during a season that is already impacted by COVID probably wasn't necessarily the right thing to do. But I think as we inch closer and closer to the offseason, um, especially with the regulation changes coming in 2022 and the new Concord Agreement, I, I think this is a team that maybe has an appetite to reset a little bit. And and I think the other consideration too is as as the world shifts into a global recession, and I guess in many ways we're already there, you have to assume that the appetite for supercars, which has been very, very hungry the past 15 or 20 years as the globe has kind of kind of churned on and we've seen these emerging um, industrialized states emerge like like the PRC and places like that. You, you have to think that Ferrari's probably looking at their bottom line a, a little bit more closely than they have in the past. And this is a company that produces a, a limited assortment of uh, high dollar luxury cars, but they generate virtually all of the revenue and the operating income for this company. Um, but ultimately, yeah, for, for me, and not to kind of go too far down that kind of economics path, it was just, it was the timing for me that just seems so suspect. You know, if this is something that you want to do, why not wait until after Yas Marina? Why not wait another week? Why not let the season breathe a little bit um, and do it when the press has kind of died down and people have scattered around Europe for the holidays? Like it was just very suspicious, the timing. And again, like I said, I don't want to speculate too much, but I suspect it's the tip of the iceberg in terms of some major structural changes within that organization. Well, you know, like you say, I mean, it was very strange the way that they restructured like the the, the, the racing team during the year and just, uh, you yeah. know, and it seemed very odd. It's like, okay, why are you doing this? Uh, when exactly. you've already had three or four months in forced time off and, uh, you know, you, you had ample time to sit back and you had the factory uh, shut down, but you could still probably meet via Zoom or Teams or whatever that uh, that we all do in in 2020 and decide, okay, well, you know, Matias focusing too much on this, but he should be focusing more on there. So, you know, let's make these decisions now. So to announce it sort of partway through this already modified season was uh, extremely bizarre, but also the fact that, uh, uh, they don't uh, have an immediate uh, replacement lined up. Uh, you know, it was even e- even stranger. So that'll certainly be a, a situation to watch over the weeks and uh, months ahead. But speaking of uh, Mattia Bonato, he uh, recently uh, decided to skip a race in per- uh, person and actually stay back at the uh, at the factory in Mar- uh, Maranello and uh, you know observe and participate uh, from there. He's actually not going to be at the race uh, this weekend in Abu Dhabi uh, because um, he's actually sick. He he got sick at uh, in Bahrain. He's uh, flown back to Italy. He doesn't have uh, COVID. Uh, he's got uh, something else. Uh, so he's going to be uh, handing over his duties to their uh, sporting uh, director uh, in- instead. But, uh, you know, it just seems to be a continuation of, um, I mean, it-, it seems every single bump that they could have hit along the way this year, Ferrari seems to have, uh, you know, th- they've had these issues, you know, on the track, off the track, with the drivers, with the car, with the, uh, you know, the, the the people on the pit wall in the garage. It has not been an easy, easy season. You know, glad to hear that he doesn't have COVID. Uh, you know, hopefully yeah. it's it, it's nothing more serious than, uh, you know, some just a simple illness that'll just play itself out over the next uh, several days. And it's uh, not, uh, you know, indication of another uh, underlying uh, situation or illness or something like that. But Charles, you know, now moving back onto the track, Charles Leclerc says that he's uh, decided he's going to choose his fights better <laughs> after that incident last week at the Sakira Grand Prix when uh, you had uh, basically himself, Checo Perez, and uh, Max Verstappen going, uh, you know, abreast three a line into to turn four. And of course, uh, you know, Max uh, saw. 
he saw the the, uh, the the little light flash off in his head at uh, you know first and decided to ease out of that. But um, you know, uh, uh, sorry, I'm getting all the names uh, jumbled here. Uh, but Charles uh, decided he saw a bit of daylight, decided to uh, slide up the inside there, even after Cheka was still coming all the way across, and that triggered that first lap incident. And it still just amazes me that uh, despite that, uh, you know, that incident. I mean, Charles, you know, his race was over. Max's race was over because he got under the gravel and crashed into the uh, into the tire barrier but that notwithstanding that uh, you know that that bit of uh, momentary mental lapse uh, from Charles and the fact that it also impacted Sergio was that he despite at the end of that uh, that lap that he still comes back and he wins that race I mean I think that uh, you know I, I have a lot of appreciation a lot of uh, you know admiration for the way that uh, that that Sergio was able to you know do in that race but I don't think I've uh, fully been able to really appreciate it a hundred percent to the the magnitude of that accomplishment considering he ended up at the back of the running order and still managed to win that race it's just uh, absolutely phenomenal stuff but you know it is kind of funny too I, th- I think that despite the talent that uh, Charles Leclerc obviously has that we do seem to every once in a while see these um I don't want to say it's immaturity, but maybe just the the, the fact that uh, you know he's still a young driver and has still uh, got a little ways to, to to go and to learn. I still go back to the mistake that he made uh, last year in qualifying at Baku when he put it into the, uh, the 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 wall, just going around. I mean, of course, it's a very narrow opening when they go around behind the castle there. But uh, the fact he gets onto the the, the the radio is oh, I was so stupid, stupid, stupid. I mean, sometimes I think that uh, you know just just the passion and then you know the uh, the enthusiasm he has just gets a little bit. Uh, you know the, the the best of him. And I think we saw that with Max a couple of years ago when he had that uh, you know that unfortunate uh, you know incident uh, where he crashed his car in what was it FP3 in Monaco, and then you know he ended up uh, you know at the back of the grid, and then you know he took that time away before he went to Canada, and he went to Canada without um, you know his usual entourage, without his dad and everybody else. And that was that real, I think, one of those benchmark moments uh, for, for, for Max where I, I think that mentally a little switch went off in his head and, and Max has been a lot more consistent and he's been a better driver, more mature, more complete. And I, I think Charles sometimes, is, as good as he is, he just isn't quite there in the same place. So, you know, he's, I, I think he needs a bit of a moment uh, like like Max does. Wh- whatever that moment, whatever shape or form it uh, takes, I, I think he just needs that little little bit of a wake up call just to nudge him in the right direction. I I really like Charles, and I I don't disagree with any of the things that you're saying. But I, I would say the one major distinction between he and maybe, and I think it's probably an apt comparison, just because. From an age perspective, they're both pretty comparable. They had similar successes in the lower formulas. But I think one of the biggest distinctions between he and Max is when when Charles typically makes a mistake, and, and you know what, I, that Baku one is seared into my mind, and yep. it's seared into my mind because he absolutely owned the error, and I think he was heartbroken for the team because in that moment, and you're right, it's an extremely narrow passage up that cobblestone tr- kind of street bes- past the castle, but I think... He recognized in the moment that this is my mistake, but the consequence is that my team is going to spend the better part of the night in the garage rebuilding that car. And and I think from Max's perspective, I don't think, I think he's authentic, but I don't think he's as quick to take ownership of the mistakes that he does make. And I'm not suggesting he's deflecting or pointing in other directions. I just think it's a characteristic of Charles that he's going to own these mistakes where Max will internalize them a little bit 
take them away. And maybe he does feel that way, but he's not going to outwardly verbalize that to the masses. You know, the one other comment too, as well, and I, I don't want to flash back because it does, it makes for a choppy podcast for the poor <laughs> listeners, but you, you made some really great points about Mattia. And I think the, the only other thing to kind of comment on that is his professional relationship with with Sebastian Vettel is now effectively over, right? Um, Mattia had actually flown into Yas into Abu Dhabi, um, recognized he was ill. Like you said, fortunately, he didn't test positive for COVID, but it was the right thing to do to get him out of there, evacuate and get him back to Italy, get him back to the factory. But he actually made some really interesting comments this week that in light of the incredibly rich, deep calendar that we're going to see next year, that he and some of his peers may strategically sit out races simply because they're going to have less time at the factory throughout the course of the season to oversee the project and the development and all of those different aspects of the business. And and he was hinting at the fact that even this year, he was seriously considering taking weeks out of the calendar to give him more of an opportunity to be at the factory and to oversee the operations there. And and I thought that was an interesting takeaway. And it's something that would be we'll be curious to see next year, whether some of these team principals sit out specific races strategically just because if you're going to have a 23 calendar week, you're going to need to be able to buy time to be back at the factory. You can't be on the road for the entire calendar because at that point, you're looking really just after race operations. You're not looking after the development of the car. You're not looking after the development of the upcoming season. But I thought those were really, really interesting comments and not something I've ever expected from a team principal. And to be fair, we've seen it in the past. But I think going into a calendar where we're going to have 23 races, you know, if if I'm a team principal or an executive, I simply can't be at every single race because yeah. it means I'm neglecting my responsibilities with developing the car and overseeing the five or six or 800 people back at the factory, whether that's in Grove or whether that's in Brackley or Milton Keynes or in Italy. Mm -hmm. Uh, I thought thought those were interesting comments. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Toto made some uh, similar comments uh, that uh, it was time for him to sort of pull back and he might not go to as many races. But, you know, the the fact that the calendar is getting bigger makes me kind of wonder exactly when uh, I I think that's a very uh, astute observation that you made that perhaps now that we're going to be seeing that these 20 plus seasons, you know, race seasons going up to me, Maybe as many as 25 is what they've, yep. they've been stating. That's where they want to go. That maybe that the team principal becomes this all, um, you know, this sort of this umbrella overarching uh, sort of supervisory kind of role that they're not going to be on the pit wall each and every weekend. And maybe we'll see something more along the lines of a, like a sporting director or racing director that's on, exactly. on the pit, wa- pit wall more of the time than, you know, that maybe the, ra- sorry, the team principal is not in there all the time. Because I mean, like you say, I mean, they have several hundred, uh, you know, people to, you know, to, to, to supervise and oversee and not not just the, the race this weekend but you got the race next week you got the, the the new car that's coming out for next year you know got new engines being developed for 2026 whatever it is so it's really going to be interesting to see how that goes anyways uh, time for another break here on the overtime media network don't go away we'll be back to talk about we're going to talk about mercedes after the break so uh, if you want to hang around for that we'll be back in just a moment 
All right. Well, welcome back to the show. So here we go. Uh, let's talk about uh, Mercedes. So uh, like mentioned, Lewis uh, fortunately tested negative uh, for uh, COVID the, this week. Uh, so he's been holed up in his hotel or his motorhome or wherever it is uh, for the past uh, week or so. So glad to hear that uh, that uh, he's back and uh, feeling good and testing negative uh, for all that. Now, this I thought was uh, interesting too. Valtteri Bottas said that he needs to be better after his recent run of form in Formula One. And well, yes, obviously, but I can't help feel like this is almost a bit of a recycled uh, statement. Uh, it feels like very similar to the things that he was saying after 2018, which was a, a bit of a, you know, not a great season for him. I don't think he won any races the, that year and he had all sorts of issues. And then, you know, he takes that winter off, comes back. And let's be fair. I mean, he nailed that uh, 2019 Australian Grand Prix. I mean, he looked really, really good. I mean, to come out and just uh, throw it down like that and, uh, and 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 beat his teammate and convincingly do so, I think made everybody kind of sit back and think, uh, maybe this is a new Valtteri Bottas. And I mean, he had a decent year, but, you know, I mean, he has his good races here and there, but... Uh, it just is not something that he can extend over the entire course of a season. And this year, I, I really feel that there's been too many slips and, and, and little incidents like that. I mean, he did not. I mean, if you didn't know any better, if you took the numbers off of those cars and gave those drivers identical helmets last weekend, and you looked at that start at the uh, the, the Sakir Grand Prix, would you have known which one was uh, Valtteri Bottas and which one was George Russell? You would have made the the, the assumption if they were you know, there was no identifying feature that the guy that was kind of, uh, you know, tentatively kind of hanging on through the first couple of corners and dropping back behind his teammates was the guy that had only just come up from the, uh, you know, from from their, their you know, partner team uh, from uh, Williams. So there's a guy that, you know, crashed his car behind the safety car at Imola a couple of weeks ago. The guy that's only been in Formula One for a couple of uh, couple of years, kind of second season. But it was uh, completely the, the the opposite. It was the youngster, George Russell, that was so impressive. And again, it was Valtteri Bottas that, you know, there's there's been several incidents and starts like that. I mean, you know, look at Hungary for one. I mean, there, there's been a number of examples this year alone where, you know, it, it just seems for whatever reason that the moment kind of gets to him. I don't know that it's the pressure or what. I, I, I'm really not sure what's going on with him. There was a there was a photo that was taken of Bottas moments after he removed his helmets after the second race in Bahrain. And, you know, he's flush and his hair is disheveled and he hasn't shaved in a week. He looks exhausted. And and I felt terrible for the guy because this specific photo made the rounds in the media. And there were there were a ton of stories about Bottas last week simply because it was such an easy comparison to draw between his performance and Russell's performance. And every single one of these stories was headlined by this photo of this exhausted looking disheveled Bottas. And and I actually felt pretty bad for the guy because I, I'm sure that emotionally he may actually feel a little bit like that. And, and you're right. You know, he had some, he had, he made some comments this week that really spoke to where he maybe is emotionally right now. Um, he acknowledges that ultimately anything less than P2 in the driver standings is an absolute disgrace given the quality of the car that he's being given. Um, but the problem is he's only 16 points ahead of, of Max and Max has had five DNFs this year. And, and you think all things being equal, maybe he wouldn't even be second. And, and to your point, you look back at 2018, he didn't win a race. He finished fifth in the championship behind Vettel and Raikkonen and Max and Lewis. Like that was a tough season. And then I think we saw, 
I think we saw a glimmer at the beginning of 2019, just like you spoke. He had that phenomenal performance in Australia and the media began labeling like, hey, is this is this the V2 Bottas? Is this Valtteri Bottas 2.0? Is this what he can do on a week in and week out basis? And, you know, he and Hamilton had a, a torrid start to 2019 and, and they, they went 1-2 and I think the first five or six races, I should know this off the top of my head, but they looked really good. But even well, they, as they dominated all the way up yeah. to the the Austrian Grand Prix, and it was only uh, th- I mean that was the the the, the race where they um, that it was basically the, the it was Max and uh, and Charles fighting for it, where Max famously barged his way past uh, Charles to, to to win that race, and uh, Mercedes just didn't have the pace. But like you say, they completely just they flew yep. off those first seven eight races of the year. I mean, they were just so dominant. Like, well, I mean, they're usually dominant, but even more so. I, I, I couldn't agree. I couldn't agree more. I, I just think this year hasn't been, you know, so he's P2, but when you really factor in the balance of the calendar and how close Max is and how many DF, DNFs Max has had this year, I, I don't think he's content with this performance. Uh, I don't know that Mercedes is going to admit outwardly that they're not content. They're, they're going to wrap up the constructors. Well, they have wrapped up the constructor, but I think it would be a real black mark on the season for Mercedes if they don't tie up P1 and P2. And, you know, I, I, I feel I feel bad for Bottas because I think emotionally he's in this tough position. But on the other hand, he's an established driver who's blessed with leaps and bounds. By leaps and bounds, the best car the sport has maybe ever seen, just in terms of reliability, um, in terms of performance, in terms of aerodynamics, all those kind of pieces. He's blessed with a phenomenal car. So as much as sometimes I feel a little bit bad for him, that he's emotionally down and it can be a challenge to be compared week in and week out against Lewis Hamilton, I, I still struggle to think that he's done enough to retain the seat. And ultimately, maybe Mercedes does retain him because it's the right thing to do to provide balance to that organization with with Lewis. But I, I just, and you know, you made that point as well. It just, and we talked about this last week, it, it takes something little that really, and this sounds cliche, but to really throw him off his game. And mm-hmm. you know what? Maybe it's a shunt. Maybe it's a bad corner. Maybe it's a lockup. Maybe it's a bad free practice, but his entire weekend can be gone. And, you know, I, I was happy for him that he managed to out-qualify Russell last weekend because I, I would have been, I would have felt terrible if Russell had out-qualified him. But even then, he was only two-tenths of a second ahead of him. But I, I, I was sitting hundreds. there with my wife watching that race and we're like, you know what? I'm not confident he's going to hold the lead for the first lap. And he didn't hold it until the first <laughs> corner. Like, I think psychologically, emotionally, I don't want to say he's broken, but I don't know that he's in a state where you can repair him at this point. Well, you know, that's the thing, too. Like, I, I mean, we all know how quick uh, Lewis is, right? Uh, like over the course of a lap, I mean, there's nobody faster, right? But the thing is, too, and, you know, th- th- this is, I think, a, a large, uh, I know for a fact, because I remember the quote at the time uh, after Nico Rosberg uh, retired back in 2016 was just the fact that, you know, the emotional drain that it is to go, you know, head to head with Lewis Hamilton each and every week is just something that's just way too intense. And and that's the thing is that Lewis, like upstairs, he is just so focused and, and so solid. I mean, he's, he's just so intense. I think it was really interesting. Um, you know, if you go back, watch season two of uh, Drive to Survive on uh, on Netflix, if you go back and you watch the one that uh, covers the, 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 the weekend at Hockenheim, I mean, that was a fantastic Grand Prix because it was wet. Everybody was going off and you see afterwards, you, you see it's in the motorhome or it's uh, wherever it is in, in the garage. Lewis is in just to, in his street clothes. He's talking to Toto and he's so 
upset because you know he he went off and you know he had his incident and just he was he was just still so intense and frustrated about it even all those hours after the race and he's just like oh you know man I'm so sorry and totals you know like you, you can tell too just how much it it, it bothers him and you know regardless of, of the fact that uh, you know it, it was tricky conditions to drive in he wasn't the only guy to go off the track uh, on that race I mean I think basically everybody did at one point or another but I mean the the, the point is we don't see under normal uh, circumstances Lewis Hamilton make too many mistakes I mean Sebastian Vettel at, at this point in his career when he gets into like a, a very close duel and he's dicing for position with somebody else there's always going to be that little nagging thought in the back of your head that yeah this is not going to end well for Seb and it's probably not going to end well for the other driver just based on his past history over the past couple of years when the, the the thing is that when you see Lewis, you don't really have those uh, same sort of questions, right? When it when it comes to his mental game, you just know he's dialed in, and uh, you know it's 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 a very difficult thing. And I think that perhaps um, you know maybe for the at the risk of over over uh, oversimplifying it is perhaps the situation and perhaps the, the 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 pressure of being in the Mercedes and having a car that can win races all the time. Maybe that's you know, it got into his head a little bit, you know, because I mean, like just back to your point about the start at Sakir last weekend, you had uh, Bottas on pole. He was on the clean side of the circuit and yet he, uh, his teammate that was, and I mean, it was blowing. It was windy before the start of that race. You could see the sand on the track. The commentators remarked before that, uh, that there, there was sand blowing everywhere. But despite all that happening, George still had a good start. He went into that first corner. I mean, it, he, it wasn't a dodgy or questionable move it was aggressive but he picked his line he held it and he, he pushed his way through and then he was off I mean he'd um, probably had at least a second if not a second and a half lead by the time uh, that that lap was over because whereas he got past his uh, teammates I mean he's you know Valtteri's uh, trying to hold it on and then he's got that squabble between Verstappen, Checo and uh, and Charles uh, you know going on <laughs> all around him there so it is uh, it's an interesting uh, situation uh, oh, I see the picture you just uh, sent me that picture of uh, Valtteri you know, we should meme that up. We should put that one. Definitely. You know, we, we should get that one. Get the nice, <laughs> the, the nice pro, uh, professionally produced one from like the the, the Mercedes, um, you know, press kit. It's just like a, and meme it up. You know, it's like you know, twenty twenty, how it started. You know, how it's going now. Totally, you know, totally. <laughs> that that would be a good one. That that's a job for somebody out there. Uh, but anyway, so just uh, going back to to, to uh, Charles, or sorry, not to Charles, but to to uh, to George. He's actually kind of dismissed the remarks that he, he made after Sakir last. Last weekend about uh, you know giving Total Wolf a, a headache about uh, you know regarding his drivers uh, lineup for 2022 or maybe sooner I think was the uh, the little extra nudge that he uh, he put in there but uh, George has actually said that uh, he's going to be uh, racing uh, for for Williams in, in in 2021 and honestly I think uh, you know um, you know just to, to build on your point just now that uh, Bottas I think is done enough obviously at this point to, to keep that seat I mean he's the perfect guy to partner with Lewis right now I mean and for Mercedes he's not going to push uh, Lewis uh, all the time in the way that uh, Rosberg did where it got really nasty and uh, like all the you know the huge list of uh, comings together that they had like at Spa and Austria Spain and you know go on and on and on I mean he's going to get there he's going to get the points he's going to win some races here and there but he's not going to to, to rock the boat uh, too much but and, and, it, and just on that the only thing I would add is Let's let's not kid ourselves. Uh, Hamilton was 
deeply integrated in the decision making about bringing Bottas over yeah. uh, for the 2017 season. Like, let's not kid ourselves, especially after the the kind of the psychological battle that was the 2014, 15, 16 seasons between Rosberg and Hamilton. And ultimately, I, I think if given a choice, Hamilton would probably still take Bottas for 2021. He's a he's a known quantity. He's somebody that Hamilton's comfortable with. Uh, he's good enough that they're going to be able to secure the constructors. And he gives Hamilton enough space, both psychologically, emotionally, and mm-hmm. physically on the track that he allows Hamilton to focus on his racecraft without having to worry about what's happening with the engineers and with the mechanics and what's happening in the garage and what kind of conversations are happening with Wolf in the office. Like all those kind of pieces kind of evaporate. So I I think ultimately Hamilton still absolutely has a say. And I think Bottas would be his preference. And I think for Mercedes, you know what? Uh, Winning the the driver's title is probably as important as winning the constructors and the two go hand in hand with Hamilton. So I think you're right. I think Bottas will be back next year. And I think it would be disruptive to the chemistry of the whole if they brought in Russell now. And I I think Hamilton, as much as anybody, probably would not be content with that decision-making because I think Russell would come in with the expectation that, hey, I want to be able to compete for races. And I think that could create some friction with Hamilton that wouldn't necessarily be there if Bottas was in the second seat. So my sense is you're absolutely right. It'll be Bottas next season. But I just want to make sure from a, a listener perspective that we appreciate that Hamilton has a very significant say in who his teammate is. Yeah, and I think ultimately uh, that to say or the, you know his input might be I don't want to see uh, uh, devalued at all, but I think that it it might uh, might take a different sort of light depending on what happens with his uh, contract uh, discussions, you know, over the next weeks and months oh, yeah. ahead. So I I mean at some point, you know, the team's going to step in and say, "Okay, that's great. You might want, you know, Bottas as your teammate, but you know, we have to start looking towards the future because, you know, you've said to us that, you know, that that this is going to be your last uh, contract that you're going to retire in 2 years or something." I mean, Lewis, like we've said before, he's earned his right to to decide when he wants to walk away from Formula 1, but at some point, you know, whether or not they have some date you know, in mind uh, between Lewis Hamilton and, uh, and and Mercedes, he's at that point in his career now that uh, that that despite you know he signs a new career or contract now, maybe signs another one in two years. Who knows? I mean, only Lewis knows how long he wants to go on racing in Formula One. But at some point, the team's going to have to say, okay, well that's great, but you know we really have to start looking towards the future and towards the guy that's going to pick it up and take this team forward after you decide that you know you've decided to call a day and uh, and move away from the sport and move into to, to other things anyways i just want to take one final break here on the overtime media network don't go away we'll be back in just a moment All right. Well, welcome back to the show. And well, we're almost an hour into this thing. We've talked about uh, Mercedes. We've talked about uh, Lewis Hamilton. We've talked about George Russell. We've talked about Ferrari. We've talked a whole lot of... um a lot of things. <laughs> we still have, we still have a race uh, going on uh, this uh, th- this weekend, uh, Mark. And you've actually been to uh, Abu Dhabi, have you not? Yeah, and, and I'm so glad you bring this up because I, I look for any opportunity to talk about my experiences at, at Yas Marina. I, I think, and you know, you've been really, really privileged as well that you've been able to travel around Western Europe and you've been able to see some of these really traditional tracks and experience some F1 races. And and for me, the best way to sum up a race at some of these traditional British tracks, some of these Western European tracks is it's it's very much a, a cross between a concert, 
a festival, a, a barbecue. Um, it's, it's all of those things kind of meshed together. And it creates this really lively, unpredictable, um, kind of inclusive, fun, exciting environment. There's people camping and barbecuing and drinking and people are having beers at 10 in the morning and you've got the cars going and it's hot, like it's sticky or it's cold and it's raining. It's just, it's this really cool experience. And I think the closest thing that I can sum sum it up to would be like going to a music festival Mm -hmm. and it's your favorite band that's playing and everyone's there for the same reason and everybody's having fun and maybe the surroundings aren't comfortable and maybe it's a little bit dusty and maybe the parking was a disaster and, and all that kind of stuff. But you're all there for the same reason and it's really fun yas marina's a a little bit different and and i think it's different in a couple of ways so to give everyone a little bit of context yas marina is um just north of abu dhabi a part of the united arab emirates it's about an hour hour and a half half south of dubai it's a track that was built in the late 2000s um from a from a, a racing spectacle perspective it's not a good track. I'll be honest. It doesn't make for good racing. It doesn't make for good overtaking. There's no elevation. It's completely flat. But I think what's really unique about it is that as a fan going there, one, the crowd size is much, much smaller. So if you go to Hockenheim or you go to Monza or you go to Silverstone, there could be a hundred or 150,000 people there on race day. There could be 300,000 people walking through the gates over the course of the weekend. Mm-hmm. Yoss is a little bit different. It sits 60,000 people. Um, All of the grandstands are highly compartmentalized. So when you go into a traditional European track, you walk in the gates and you can go anywhere. You can circle the track. You can visit the grandstands. You can go to the F1 village, all those kind of pieces. When you go to Yoss, it's highly compartmentalized and it's incredibly sterile. So sterile, for instance, that if you sit in the grandstands, you can't bring food or drink with you. You have to consume your food or drink outside of the grandstands. Security, naturally, given the part of the world, is is incredible incredibly strict. But a couple of the things that I I really do like about it is the race is one of the only races, or I think possibly the only race that happens at dusk. So Bahrain is a night race. Singapore is a night race. The race at Abu Dhabi starts at dusk and the race transgresses into a night race. So from a mood perspective, it's it's kind of cool. But in terms of fan atmosphere and things like that, it's incredibly, the best way to put it is it's incredibly sterile. It's not a fun environment to be in. It's neat and you can be close to the drivers. And because the crowd size is so small, the drivers are much, much more accessible than they would be at other tracks. You know, if you go on Thursday and you do the paddock walk, you can get within feet of the drivers. Um, Again, unlike these European events where maybe it's 150,000 people, you can get really close to the drivers. And I've shared this story before as well that uh, on the first Thursday there, the first year we went, we actually spent the better part of a day sitting in a line under a tent waiting for the opportunity to meet the Mercedes drivers. And mm-hmm. fortunately, my wife was able to meet Lewis. We got some stuff signed, super exciting. The next day, I basically bumped into Lewis outside of the outside of the grandstand. <laughs> so it was it was kind of this experience that you probably wouldn't have anywhere else because the crowd size is smaller, because the security is so tight. Um, the drivers are much more accessible, which is one of the really unique things about it. But in terms of atmosphere, it's really lame. It is in a cool place. So Yas Marina is on Yas Island, a man-made entertainment mecca um, just north of Abu Dhabi. There's a massive shopping mall there. Ferrari World's there, which is a world-renowned theme park known for its really extreme roller coasters. Warner Brothers World is there. There's water parks. So from a family entertainment perspective, there's lots you can do there, but the atmosphere is different and it's a very, very sterile 
environment. So that's kind of the way I would sum it up. Still worth doing, and I would love to go back again, but it's very, very different than a traditional F1 event. Yeah, it's it's very different. Uh, my my first race, and I've talked about it on the show before, was the two thousand and one European Grand Prix at the Nurburgring. Oh wow! Now, uh, the, and that was that that was awesome because that is just sort of like the beginning of kind of like peak Schumacher, right? Wow. And we were staying because like uh, Nurburg is actually just a little tiny town in the middle of the uh, like in, in the mountains there, right? And then, so we were actually staying, you know, and it's not really close because you know, we were staying up in Bonn, which is northeast of uh, where the Nürburgring is. So you go down the A61, the Autobahn, and then you could basically turn off onto a country road. It's a two-lane road. And then, you know, like, I... I I have the number 110,000 people there for race day and it was packed and it was like wow. the I mean the 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 atmosphere was absolutely fantastic and we were sitting down at the bottom they used to call it the Dunlop curve I don't know what they call it now but it's the big hairpin at the bottom so we were parked on the the east side of the track so we had to walk all the way in but like you say we went in through the main gates on the like the village side of the track, which I guess would be on the sort of the east northeast side, we walked all the way around. But where you could sit was great because you know we saw the cars coming down the hill into the hairpin, then up into that very fast left hander. And you know you could just like you could say you could walk in. I mean, this is twenty years ago. This is kind of pre nine eleven and all the security things and pre all these modern tracks and things like that. But it's also different too because we were at Barcelona a couple of years ago as well. And although our tickets were only valid for one uh, one grand stand which was just across from the from the pit exit i mean from i mean there is like a, a nice variation in the terrain at uh, monmelo there because you know they, they actually when they come out of the pits that start finish it kind of there's a bit of like a, a bit of an arc to it and you get to start finish and it drops down a little bit until you get into the turn one and two then back up and around and then you where we're actually sitting because the, the track actually when you i mean if you look at the map of it you can see where it kind of you know uh, it sort of uh, folds back in on itself so we could see the cars they disappear through turns one, two, and three, and then they come back around, and we could see them in the infield there, and then they go back around. So it was a pretty good place to go. But you know, Abu Dhabi is uh, one of these places. Just from an experience point of view, I'd very much like to go to at uh, one of these, uh, you know, the, one of these points in the future when travel becomes uh, totally. like a, a reasonable and, option again. And right? I would still highly, highly recommend it. It's just. It's very different from an atmosphere perspective to a traditional F1 race. The one thing I would add as well is that for any Canadian tourists that head over there, you will be shocked at the number of Tim Hortons restaurants in that country. They really? are everywhere. I promise you. That's amazing. That's something I <laughs> never expected to hear. But, you know, just uh, I was looking at uh, some of the stats here. Again, it's a fairly long circuit. I mean, I, I don't think we we adequately give it, uh, or at least uh, maybe I don't appreciate the length of the Yas Marina circuit. It's 5.55 uh, uh, kilometers or just uh, under three and a half miles, 21 turns. And the fastest or the, the race lap uh, record was set last year by Lewis, a 139.283. So, the, I mean, that's a, that's a pretty decent lap. I mean, compared to what we saw Sakir last weekend where you know we we're what like 55 seconds or whatever it was you know it just uh you know a, a very very different but uh you know it's it, it's like I was saying at the very top of the show I'm not really ready for the season to end because you know like yeah. you know that the season is well and truly over because as soon as these cars finish you know pass start finish you know that's when the donuts uh you know happen and all of a sudden it's like you know I can kind of put a bit of abuse into this car because you know, I don't have to worry about destroying anything because this is going into a museum or it's going to get I, auctioned I, off I just or have to add else. to that so when my my wife and I went to Abu Dhabi the first time it was the 
it was the conclusion of the 26 championship, 2016 championship. So it came down to Lewis and Nico. So we were in the main grandstand and we were immediately parallel to the first two grid slots. So Hamilton had qualified on pole. Nico was right beside him and they were no more than 20 or 30 feet in front of us. Uh, but what we also got as part of our package was we got the um, podium pass. So we were actually able to go down and watch the podium celebration itself from the track. So within a, with probably one or two laps left, we were like super excited. Let's go down there. Let's, let's line up so we can get out there. What we didn't realize was that in doing so, we would miss the donuts that would have taken place. <laughs> 10 feet in front of us. So we actually missed the celebration of Nico hopping out of his car and the don't, we missed it all because we were sitting behind a fence waiting to be let onto the track to watch <laughs> the podium celebration. And I've been, I've been angry at myself ever since because I'm also a big photographer and I would have been able to get some great really photos, good, great but, uh, but I, I know for next time that we will wait until after the donuts before we proceed down to the celebration at the podium. Lesson learned the hard way, eh? Very much so. <laughs> but you know what else is going to be interesting, Ned, this, the, the, this weekend is there's a number of things uh, that are still in play. Uh, you know, third place in the in the Constructors' Championship. I mean, that uh, three-way battle between McLaren, Racing Point, and, and Renault. I mean, that's kind of opened and closed a little bit. I mean, uh, Racing Point looks uh, pretty good to take uh, third in the championship uh, at the moment. And then, of course, uh, we have this, uh, you know, this battle with uh, Max and Valtteri Bottas. That's still, uh, you know, something that uh, could uh, switch around. And, and like you were saying just now, I, I think that if um, Bottas doesn't manage to, to to seal this one up, I mean, he hasn't been on the podium now in four races since uh, Imola. Ooh. And all those DNFs, I mean, Max didn't uh, didn't even make a single lap last weekend uh, in, at uh, Sakir. So, I mean, the, if he manages to come and, and better Voltaire and, and close, and, you know, I, I mean, it, it's possible. I mean, it is a fairly sizable gap. I mean, it, it's not going to be uh, simple. I mean, Max is obviously going to need a very, very good result, and Valtteri is going to need a very, very bad one. But you know, it 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 it's, it is a you know, it is a possibility, and it's not like one of these sort of mathematical possibilities, like a you know, like we we had going into Turkey, where Bottas still theoretically could win the championship. But you know, it's it's only think well, Lewis would have to miss all the remaining races, and Valtteri would have to win all the races. You know, I mean, it, it could happen, but the likelihood would be you know, not very probable, but so that, that obviously is one to watch. And like you were saying that if, if he doesn't hold on to that, that would be a very disappointing, that would be a bit of blemish on the season for Mercedes. I, I don't, uh, don't think that's an overstatement at all. Yeah. I, I think for me, that's probably going to be one of the bigger ones to watch this, uh, this weekend. But I, I think as well, the battle between McLaren and, and Racing Point, you know, it, it's probably closer than it should have been given some of the bad luck and the misfortune that the Racing Point teams had this year and the fact that they were deducted 15 points earlier in the season. But I think really for me that the things that I'm going to tune in to watch this weekend is, is how does Max look? Um, is he able to bounce back? Is he able to qualify well? Is he potentially able to squeak out that second place from Bottas and potentially what does that do with Bottas long term but I also think it would be an unbelievable achievement for Racing Point to finish third in the championship and again that's largely facilitated because Ferrari's had such an atrocious season but for Lawrence Stroll and that consortium to be able to come in and say hey in our second full season we were able to surge to third in the championship and we're only just getting started the the factory's under construction they're going through a massive hiring campaign mm -hmm. um they're they're 
principal driver for next season. Uh, Sebastian Vettel hasn't even donned a racing suit for this team. Like there's so many good things in motion for that team that if they were able to finish third and, and the other benefit too, is just from a cash injection perspective to finish third in the championship and take home that cash and to be able to reinvest it in the team. Because I think that's one of the things that Lawrence Stroll's really shown a willingness to do is he's invested significantly in this team. He's invested significantly in Aston Martin. To him, this is this is a point of pride, not not a hobby. This is a, a business for him and he wants to excel. And I think it's uh, really exciting. And I think from a Canadian perspective as well, because so much of the money that's tied up in that team is Canadian and they don't race under a Canadian license, but it is really cool that you see a Canadian maple leaf on the halos of those cars. And it's something that makes me grin every time I see it. And I'm really excited that they there's the potential that they could secure third in the championship this weekend. Yeah, it, it really is incredible. I mean, if you go back just a couple of years when they were, you know, still Force India, I mean, they were literally, I mean, they they were at death's door. I mean, that, that team yeah. was literally, you know, it, it's probably not too much of an exaggeration, you know, days or weeks away from, from, from folding and locking the doors and walking 100%. away forever. I mean, it, it was really, really that bad. So to go from where they are, where then to where they are now and where they're going to next year is absolutely incredible. And that, that's why, you know, I, I feel bad for Sergio Perez because I mean, he was, you know, just where he was and, you know, what he's put into that team and, you know, how, how he helped to get the ball rolling to take there, you'll know, get this team headed in that direction, you know, it's a bit rough, you know, I mean, that's just the unfairness that is uh, professional sports. But, you know, just, uh, it's interesting, there's been a couple of things, uh, you know, just uh, talking about uh, Sergio Perez, and the, the, the first one, uh, I, I think is uh, interesting. Is uh, Danny Ricardo said that uh, that his rivals, so basically all the other nineteen guys on the grid that were still, well, I guess except for the ones that crashed out on lap one, um, <laughs> should not have let Perez come back from being dead last at the end of lap one to winning that race. But I mean, he was just uh, an unstoppable force, and it's, it's interesting too because I don't know if there's a uh, you know if we should read too much into this one, but uh, the 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 motorsport uh, big boss at uh, at Red Bull Helmet Marco is one of the people that sent uh, Checo a, a congratulatory message after his uh, his uh, his win last weekend at uh, at Sakir. And I know that his name has been linked with that second Red Bull seat uh, for, for next year. And it seems to me that I, I know that they said that they're probably going to make a decision after the season, but... It, it's hard to say. I mean, is that just because they just want to like just finish up the season? Because it seems the way that it sort of drags on each and every day. Seem to me, it kind of seems more like uh, Albon will hang on to that seat. But as we talked about at length in one of the recent shows, that you get a guy like uh, you know uh, uh, Checo Perez and put him in that second Red Bull. That's going to be a formidable team next year. I mean, he, he's a proven quantity as a driver. There's there's no doubt about it. I mean, he's had some very good moments in in that uh, racing point uh, this year, and uh, you know, partner him up with uh, you know Max Verstappen. I, I I think that's 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 a really really good lineup. I mean, they, it, it's been they've been in some rocky and troubled waters. You know, with that second driver with Gasly and Albon over the past couple of years after Ricardo jumped ship and went over to uh, to, to Renault. But I mean to to get a guy like Perez into that team for for next year, maybe two years, whatever it is, if they you know if they decide to go that way, I mean that makes a very very solid uh, lineup for that team. So who knows? Uh, you know, like I say, we could be reading a little bit uh, too much into that statement that Marco sent uh, uh, Checo Perez, uh, you know, a, a message congratulating him. But who knows? We'll wait and see. It might uh, it might come out in the wash, as they say, over the next uh, weeks and months ahead. 
Yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I don't really think I have a lot to add other than the fact that I just think if if Red Bull are serious about competing for a constructor's title, you need to do it with the two best available drivers. And, and I think Max is their, their present and their future. But if you have the opportunity to bring on a driver of the caliber of Sergio Perez, you have to do it. And and not only does it improve their chances on the track, it's, it's what it does for them off the track from a marketability perspective mm-hmm. as well. You know what? Albon is a great kid. He's he's polite. He's charismatic. He's overcome some some pretty unfortunate circumstances in his youth. He's overcome a lot of challenges in his own career, having been cut from the Red Bull program, having mm-hmm. been resigned to going to Formula E, getting that last minute call up to what is now AlphaTauri. Like he's been through a lot himself. But ultimately, what what Sergio Perez has been able to do this year and, and in the previous years, and to secure podiums with Sauber and Force India, to me, it's just if if I'm putting the best possible team on the grid, that team includes Sergio Perez. And I just, I find it so baffling that a team that has been as quick to cut ties with drivers like Gasly mid through way through last season and with Kvyat <laughs> midway through 2016, that they're so invested in Elbot. And again, I'm glad they are. I'm glad they're actually making the effort to nurture one of their young drivers, which is what they ultimately need to do. And maybe they realize they recognize they made a mistake with Gasly last year. But I just think from a purely business perspective, from a championship contention perspective, Sergio is your guy and you cannot miss out on this opportunity. Yeah, well, I'm going to throw another twist into that one here as we start to wrap it up. I mean, just from Honda's point of view, saying that they want to go all in next year, their last year in Formula One, that they, they want to do everything to help Red Bull win races next year and win the championship. I mean, if you're Honda, I mean, you know, you're sitting at uh, at the headquarters in Tokyo, you're probably making some phone calls or, you know, making sending some messages is like, guys, get Sergio into that car for next year. We're going to give you like uh, the, the, the best engine that we can. <laughs> let, let's, you know, let, let's try and stack the odds and you know in our favors as best we can and no offense to Alex Albon but uh, I, I just see I, I just see better things happening with them it, with you have a lineup like uh, Max Verstappen and, and Sergio Perez I, I mean I see Max uh, doing really really good things like he does and I, I see Sergio I, I just see a, a lot of I, I see more positives I don't see too many you know cons in that list there I don't see see very many negative points at all. Yeah. And, and maybe from Honda's perspective too, that they could use a little bit of leverage. You know what? You want this uh, power unit IP? <laughs> well, I think for our last season, you need to do us a, a solid and you need to give us the best possible driver lineup yep. available. And, and, and I think it's accessible and it's within their reach. And if they don't do it and Albin continues to perform at this level next year, I, I think from a Christian Horner, Marco perspective, I, I don't think they would ever live this one down. I think it would be very, very, very hard. Mm-hmm. And I guess ultimately Red Bull doesn't have shareholders that they necessarily need to be accountable to. But I, I think from a, a corporate perspective and from a fan perspective, it would be very, very difficult to rationalize that decision, knowing that we haven't seen substantial growth in Albon. And I think that was part of it too, is, you know, maybe in the back half of the season, he would have, we would have seen significant growth. Um, and, and ultimately we, we haven't seen that and, and his performance throughout the season has been flat. And I know he secured a podium in the first weekend in Bath in uh, Bahrain, but really that was a byproduct of a catastrophic engine failure for, uh, Sergio Perez that robbed him of the podium. But ultimately I don't think we've seen that growth. And I think just from a business perspective, from a marketing perspective, you go on in Sergio Perez. There's you literally have nothing to lose in that in that equation. Yeah, I totally agree. I mean, th- th- there's no doubt that we've seen uh, like Albon show at times what he can do. I mean, that pass he made on uh, Lando Norris last week in Sakir, that was one of those moments. 
but just pace wise, week after week, you know, race after race, that that gap between himself and Max Verstappen just seems, you know, a lot bigger than it should be. I mean, if these guys are driving identical cars, and of course, Max is kind of like one of those next level drivers that can just push these cars to the 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 the, the absolute limits of the envelope and beyond, and, and just get all the performance that he he can, and even more out of it that he probably shouldn't be able to, but does. Yeah. I mean, that's obviously got a lot to do with it, but, you know, still, I mean, Albon might not be able to push the car and get as much in terms of speed out of it as Max does, but that gap shouldn't be that big. So, And that you know, gap my... didn't exist when Daniel Ricciardo was there. I, no. I mean, it was a toss-up every single race weekend, and even after Max had migrated to the senior team... Uh, Daniel Ricciardo was still winning races and they were fighting on the track. And ultimately that may have been the downfall of that driver pairing, but ultimately you didn't see this gigantic Delta in performance between the two drivers. And, mm-hmm. and I know the critique of Red Bull as well. The car's built for max. Well, you know what? I, I don't buy that. They've had a year and a half to engineer a car for Albon and an entire off season plus a four month break between between Australia and the beginning of the season, like they've had the opportunity to build a package that's comfortable for Albon to drive. And I think at this point, it's just his race pace. And I'm not suggesting he's not a capable driver because you're right, his race craft at times can be well, and he's had some bad luck, especially at the end of last season mm-hmm. in Brazil and at the beginning of this season. But ultimately, like the pace, the, the delta between him and Max is just unjustifiable from a, from a development perspective. Yeah, absolutely. So who knows? Uh, maybe they're just uh, waiting to to, to drop something, uh, you know, substantial or big, uh, you know, in the off season. Once the season is uh, over and done, it's all wrapped up, and we're looking towards Australia, looking towards Melbourne, you know, several months uh, down the road. So who knows? It. it uh, I, I would. I you know honestly, I would be surprised if we get to Australia three, four months down the road, whatever it is, and it's still a lineup of uh, Alex Albon and Max Verstappen at uh, at Red Bull. I, I'm just going to be completely open and and upfront about that. So whether or not my hunch, uh, you know, you know, turns out to be anything, or it's just you know wishful thinking. That, that, that'll be uh, proven or disproven <laughs> in the months ahead. Wouldn't be the first time I'm wrong. So on, on that note, as we, because uh, that, that's basically all I got for tonight, I'm not going to let you off easy. So we, we've got uh, one final uh, race this weekend. Uh, who are you picking for your podium? Oh, you're asking me? Oh, yeah. No, I'm, I'm not asking. I'm oh. demanding. I'm, I'm demanding. Oh, it- <laughs> I just I look at the successes that Lewis has had there in the past. That said, you know, he's coming off a, a week of illness and he's missed a race, which has never happened. So I, I don't know that he's necessarily going to have the same pace that he would necessarily have. Oh, there's so many stories. I'm going to go with Lewis just because it's the safe bet. Just because I I, I don't want to be brave. I'm just going to go with the safe bet. I got to hear yours. Your, your guess. Like, you wouldn't lead me down that path unless you had a controversial <laughs> pick. I need to know who your pick's going to be. No, well, I, I'm, I'm going with Lewis, but I'm going to go. He's either going to be really, really hot because he's had this week of, uh, you know, extra week off, you know, regardless, you know, I know he had, uh, he wasn't feeling the greatest. So I'm either going to be thinking he he's on his game because he had the, the the week off to rest, or you know he's going to be off his game because you know he's still recovering from his mild uh, COVID, and uh, he's still getting back into it uh, despite you know the negative test and everything like that. But you know having you know having said that, I still expect him to win. But I'm saying that uh, Max comes home second, Valtteri Bottas third. I think that Bottas still takes second in the championship. I think Max beats him head to head on the track, just as a bit of a you know a little bit of. Rem- 
reminder, you might have finished ahead of me in the championship, but, you know, had I not, uh, you know, had all those DNFs, I would be, you know, second in the championship. That's that's how I'm, that's what I think it's going to be. So we'll, we'll talk about this on Sunday night when we wrap it up. <laughs> how, how close, I mean, we could have a completely, uh, you know, bizarre circumstance at the, you know, it's something, I mean, it's been a weird year. I, I hope we do. So, but, It'd uh, give us a lot to talk about. It would, it would. But uh, that, that's why I'm going. Lewis, Max, Valtteri as our podium. So there it is. Anyways, that's all I got. I think that's uh, that that's all we got uh, you know, for for the both of us. So we're going to wrap it up uh, right there. Thank you all very much for downloading for, and listening to the show. Thank you for watching on YouTube. You know, if you like uh, watching the show on YouTube, hit that uh, red sub button. You won't miss a uh, miss a show every time we post one. If you guys want to get in touch, regardless if you're watching the you know, watching the video or if you're listening to the podcast, the contact is the same for uh, for either way. Uh, regardless, Twitter at Scuderia F1 Pod or email Scuderia F1 Podcast at Gmail and that's it on behalf of myself and uh, my uh, uh, friend and co-host Mark Hamilton that's a wrap we'll be back on Sunday night have a great weekend enjoy the race and that's it for now bye for now